0: This strange and often confusing collection of incidents received a lot of media attention back in the day. A haunting, poltergeist activity, attempted murder and full spectral apparitions are just the tip of the iceberg with this case. But with so many inconsistencies, can we really be sure of its authenticity? If you like what you hear, please consider liking, subscribing or even writing a review on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. The San Pedro Haunting This case is most definitely a strange one. And I remember seeing this unfold on shows like Sightings in the 1990s. One would watch the tale, and with every show and segment it looked like we were slowly seeing this terrible story of a young woman and her children being plagued by unknown forces unfold right in front of us. Nowadays we have access to so much data at our fingertips. For example, this story has been covered by numerous websites, TV shows, documentaries and books, all of which are available to us with the mere click of a mouse button, and herein lies the problem. Whilst researching this I have come up with various dates and events that seem to contradict the narrative and sequence of events. In isolation the odd ill-remembered dates or sequences of events do not really matter, but unfortunately It is not only a few dates. I was three quarters of the way through reading many articles from the 1990s through to present day, when all of a sudden I was introduced to an event that had not been mentioned in any other article thus far. It's not my job to point fingers or accuse anyone. After all, that's not why we're here. But I do wonder if this is selective memory of the participants or editorial decisions made by the article documentary writers. I will leave it to you to research that further and come to your own conclusions. It was November 1988 when 25-year-old Jackie Hernandez decided that her turbulent marriage was finally over. She was pregnant and brought her two-year-old son Jamie with her to the -the turn-of-the-century bungalow located at the corner of 11th and Grande Street in San Pedro, California, and was working several different jobs to make ends meet. Jackie had married the father of her children, Al Hernandez, a few years earlier, but the marriage was always plagued with problems. Jacqueline Hernandez was born in 1963 in Saratoga Springs, New York, but had a difficult life. She was the victim of multiple assaults and as a result Jackie suffered from anxiety and depression. Maybe it was these experiences that made Jackie decide that she wanted to become a child psychologist and Jackie was continuing her studies during her tumultuous time of upheaval and change. Jackie found this change in her circumstances to be quite liberating, and it enabled her to continue with her studies and dreams of graduating with a plum. But as is the case with many of these podcasts, things started to go awry. In the beginning, only a few strange occurrences would litter Jackie's life. These would start only a month after she moved in, ...and would initially make Jackie feel like she was never truly alone in the house... ...and that something was constantly watching her. This presence that would follow her from room to room... ...would also, on occasion, be accompanied by strange noises... ...scratching and tapping at the walls... ...as well as disembodied voices that would emanate from empty rooms and the attic space. Jackie claimed in an interview that she was more afraid of people breaking into her home than of anything that resided within. Things slowly started to escalate for her, and the phenomena had branched out to include such feats as strange lights and dark shadows, pungent, foul smells, and the moving of objects of their own volition. One night in November, Jackie's friend, Darlene, paid her a visit. The evening was going well until the pair of them heard an enormous crashing sound coming from the kitchen. When the pair went to investigate, they found that a large painting that Jackie possessed of a goose had been flung to the ground and was now sitting five feet away from the wall where it originally hung. Under the painting's original location sat a small table... And resting upon that, standing upright, were the two nails that had been hammered into the wall to hang said painting. Sometime after this event, Jackie witnessed a water-like substance pour out from a light fitting. This is said to have lasted around five seconds and was never repeated throughout the haunting. Jackie's ex-partner's home burnt down, so it was decided that Al would move in with her She stated in an interview...
1: Uh, Then my ex-husband, who I... well, not ex yet, I was separated from from him. uh, His house burned down and he temporarily moved in with me. When he moved in, or stayed with us, he wasn't going to stay more than a couple weeks, but when he did come to the house, that's when the first thing started happening.
0: Jackie just recently acquired a cat, and she would say in an interview that...
1: The cat was like a really mellow, mellow cat, but when it got into the house, it was, it was strange. It acted really peculiar.
0: The cat was often observed rampaging through the house as if giving chase to an unseen prey. On many occasions, the animal was spotted chasing the many strange black shadows that would slowly creep around the house. Slow, that is, until the cat had spotted them and started to give chase.
1: It would chase the shadow around the house, and it would, um, it would. At times when it was, it would, it would uh, just act a- abnormal. It would follow the lights. It would chase the shadows. It would um, arch its back like cats do when they're really afraid of something.
0: Jackie also stated that the cat had an aversion to leaving the house, although when it finally did, it was most reluctant to re-enter again. After Al had moved into the property, that was when Jackie first noticed strange events occurring.
1: You know, after that, after Al moved in, he only stayed away before I kicked him out. And then that's when things started happening.
0: Jackie stated in an interview. Jackie was walking past her desk. At this time, Al was sitting up at it. And one of Jackie's friends, who was also present, was sitting on the couch. Jackie maintains that she was not close to the desk, but a couple of feet away from it. But nonetheless, the following happened.
1: But it was as if this thing came tumbling at me with a pencil holder and the pencils came out. And I knew I didn't touch it. And I remember looking at Al and him looking at me and um, with this question, how did that happen, you know?
0: At one point, Jackie thought she was hallucinating all these small incidents that kept occurring and attributed it to the fact that she was pregnant. The incident is considered by her to be the first, but by no means the last. As shortly after that initial experience, Jackie and her friend slash babysitter Christina were washing up the dishes when they noticed a blood-like viscous liquid slowly seeping out of the kitchen walls. Amid this latest manifestation of the phenomena, the household and visitors ...were to be treated to such experiences as coloured self-illuminating orbs... coloured mists, full-figure apparitions and foul odours with no apparent cause. It would be one particular night in the summer of 89... ...that would shake Jackie to her core. Jackie's neighbour Susan Castaneda said that she was alerted to a frantic knock at her front door. And when she opened it, she was greeted with the sight of Jackie and her two children. They were terrified by something that had happened in the house. This event had been told at least two different ways by parties concerned. The first is as follows... Jackie was up in the living room watching episodes of The Honeymooners whilst the children slept in their shared bedroom. Jackie explained to Susan that a violet-coloured mist had entered the home via an open window in the living room and proceeded to hover for a few moments until it eventually dissipated. Her natural motherly instincts kicked in and Jackie decided to go and check on the children. Being three years old, her son Jamie was able to sleep on the top bunk of the bunk beds, whilst the four-month-year-old Samantha slept in a traditional baby crib within the same room. As Jackie looked into the room, she saw for the briefest moment the image of an old, very thin, grey man sitting on the bottom bunk. The ghostly image had its legs crossed, An expression on his face was one of evil and malevolence. The figure was only sighted very briefly, but Jackie said she saw it clear enough to say that he had a grey pallor, and was wearing a red checkered shirt and high water trousers, like an old American style petrol station attendant. It was at this point that she gathered up the children and headed to Susan's home. Another version of this incident, which mainly comes from an interview that Jackie gave during the making of a documentary into The Haunting, is as follows. One particular night, she was sleeping in the living room, when all of a sudden, all the shutters that covered the windows simultaneously flung open. Jackie states that as she was pregnant at the time with her daughter, Samantha, and in fact had not given birth to her yet... She was always waking up at midnight to use the toilet, regardless of whatever time she went to bed. It was one of these midnight trips to the toilet that Jackie was making her way through the bedroom, the only way of accessing the toilet, when she noted that she wasn't exactly walking through a dark room, as they kept on a closet light, which cast a yellow-like light into the room.
1: I saw him sitting on the bed and I turned real quick, and even though I didn't see him when I turned, I knew what I had seen um he, he was very um, grayish in appearance and his he looked as if he was very angry and evil at the same time which made me feel uneasy. It wasn't like a friendly um, welcoming type of thing it was like he was very angry and and, and he just uh, seemed like I don't know it, he was he looked like a corpse he looked just he looked like a corpse with the, the way his skin tone was and You couldn't see through him. He wasn't, um, like, um, transparent or anything like that. But he he didn't look like a person either. And the only thing they would think, his, his shirt, you could see the colorings of his shirt and his clothing. He was wearing gray pants, and his shirt was a red flannel shirt. And he was wearing workman's boots. And he kind of resembled Jack Albertson, from the actor, in a way. But his look was just an evil angry Luck
0: No matter which version of the bunk bed event you choose to follow, it was evident that things had started to escalate after the birth of Jackie's daughter Samantha. One event that seems to be lacking from some of the recounting of the story are the dream events that Jackie is said to have experienced. These would be vivid dreams that she would experience where she would be a young man near the San Pedro Harbour. Within the dream, the man would be clubbed with a piece of lead piping, and would eventually be drowned by the assailant. Jackie said that she could feel the water moving over her face as the young man's life force slowly ebbed away. These experiences seemed to take place in a kind of 1930s rendition of the harbour. It is roughly during this period we come to a section that is again mentioned in some, but not in other accounts of this case. Due to this, I have been unable to definitively place it within the timeline. It could have a specific date, but I was unable to place it accurately myself. Jackie had been told by a friend of hers that she once moved into a new property, and on inspecting the attic area, discovered a sum of money. It was with this motivation that Jackie and her friend Chrissy decided to enter her own attic area. In search of unclaimed cash. The hatch to the attic space was located in a small laundry area off from the main kitchen. The hatch was rather small and in order to get up into it one had to stand on top of the washing machine and lift themselves up using their arms into the space. As soon as Jackie looked into the dark attic area she felt the uneasy feeling of eyes watching her as if someone was right behind her, staring right at her from the dark void.
1: And I didn't see anything. Now the attic was, was empty and it was dark and you couldn't see anything really. And I turned around again because I, I got this very uncomfortable feeling that something was definitely there and looking right at me.
0: As Jackie looked towards the far right side of the attic, The ghastly visage of the head of a chubby-faced man started speeding towards her. Jackie stated that she did not even have time to react properly. Her legs buckled from under her and she fell completely out of the attic and off the washing machine. Jackie said that after the event she couldn't walk properly or stand for a few minutes due to the shock. Dr. Barry Taff, a Los Angeles parapsychologist, took a phone call from Jackie's friend Susan. Here she outlined the strange paranormal incidences that had been occurring in the property. Susan had seen Taff on the television, and it was this investigation and his work on the Entity case in the late 1970s that inspired her to call him. The Entity case was the investigation that examined claims of violent poltergeist activity in Culver City and formed the basis of the 1983 movie starring Barbara Hershey, also called The Entity. Susan stated that Jackie was scared of entering her own home and that there was a couple of children in the property that they all feared the worst for. So that August, Dr Barry Taff and a small crew of like-minded individuals ...assembled to investigate these experiences. The initial investigation team consisted of Dr Barry Taff... ...with his doctorate in parapsychology... ...with a minor in biomedical engineering... ...videographer slash cameraman Barry Conrad... ...and his friend and photographer Jeff Wheatcraft... There were other individuals that came on this first investigation and their roles were mainly to man the video cameras, image intensifiers, infrared detectors and other scientific equipment that had proved their worth during the entity investigation. 7th of August 1989. The first investigation. It is said that when the first team entered the home, they witnessed a most foul and putrid smell that seemed to fill the room, and on inspection, they could not locate the source of. With all the windows open so that the smell could hopefully dissipate, Jackie stated that...
1: When the investigative team came, um, Barry Taft arrived first, and I began telling him the the things that were happening around the house. And shortly after that is when Barry Conrad and Jeff came and they knocked on the door and I was sitting on the couch and I just said, come in. Barry Conrad was the first to come in and he had this look on his face like a kid at Christmas time. I mean, like he was going to open up a present, like, you know, he was really looking forward to possibly seeing something. Well, Jeff comes in. And you could tell that he was very, very sceptical. And he, had, he almost was like he didn't even want to be there at that time. He would rather have been any place else but there. But um, that's, that's what I sensed from him anyway.
0: Dr. Taff proceeded to ask Jackie all the preliminary questions so that he could be best acquainted with all the facts. It was during the questions that the team had their first brush with the auditory phenomenon that was taking place. They all heard a massive crashing sound coming from the attic space above them. No sooner had they realised what was happening it was immediately followed by another crashing sound. The team scrambled to try and record the events as they happened whilst Jackie told them that she was fully aware of what made the sound and that it was the strange disembodied head that she had previously seen floating around the attic. She stated that since that day she had not attempted to enter it again. With unease and trepidation, the team slowly inched open the attic door, with them adopting the same position of standing on the washing machine as Jackie had previously done. Once inside, the team found nothing inside the attic but dust and a few copies of National Geographic. Jackie also told the team that whilst they were talking and just before the crashing from the attic she had heard a low muffled voice, very similar to the sound she had heard countless times in the home. She went on further and stated that she had also had soda cans and various other objects flung at her on a regular basis and also recounted the tale of the strange liquid that seemed to seep through the walls. Dr. Taff was able to collect some samples of this viscous liquid that was gathering on the seals of the kitchen cupboards. After telling the team about the encounter with the old man sitting on the bunk bed, the team decided to conclude their investigation by taking photographs of Jackie's home and then carefully packed up their equipment. It was then that they realised that they did not have any shots of the interior of the attic and this task was assigned to Jeff Wheatcraft. Investigator Barry Conrad decided to go with Jeff and assist him in taking shots of the attic. It was whilst inside that a strange force seemed to take hold of Jeff's camera. After an incredibly brief struggle, the camera was snatched out of his hands. Jeff had also felt a large hand on his back, slowly applying pressure, and start to force him down to the ground. The two men exited the attic shaken and disturbed and eventually the camera was found on the other side of the room with the lens and camera detached from each other and in separate corners of the space jeff would later describe how when he was left in the loft the first time he could feel eyes following him around the room it was on the second visit back up into the attic that he decided to start taking some photographs of the area behind him whilst looking forward. It was during this action that the camera was snatched away from him.
1: I started clicking off some photos. It was dark, totally dark. I fired first, I fired second, and just as I fired into the third frame, something pulled this camera from my hand.
0: ...stated Jeff on the video that was taken that night by the investigation team. Jackie recounted the event in an interview for the documentary on the haunting as...
1: And they went back up into the attic, Barry ran out to his car to get his video equipment, which he didn't bring in right away. And they went back up to look for the camera and it took quite a while to find it. There was nothing in the attic, it was it was all dark... But it took them like about 45 minutes to find the camera. There was three guys up there looking for it. And when they did find it, the camera was on one side and the lens was on the completely other side of the, of the attic. They were, were separated and, and taken apart.
0: Jackie also stated that she could relate to the feeling of pressure that Jeff had felt on his back, as she too had experienced it previously. She also said that Jeff had witnessed a small glowing light moving through the attic space. This concluded the team's first night of investigating the San Pedro haunting. And Dr Taff is quoted as saying, We kept hearing what sounded like a 200-pound rat running around the attic. Taff also has stated that everyone also experienced a sensation of overpressure. A strange feeling very similar to being underwater. In the 110-year formal history of psychical research, there's been less than a handful of people that have been deliberately harmed or injured in some way by this phenomena. In fact, only one really well-established case, so this might be the second one. If it was not for one of our other associates present in the attic, Jeff might have been killed.
1: I can't see her. Oh, I lost
0: her. Jackie? Yeah, I heard it like lost the Jackie, you cut the light. Jackie? What happened? Jackie?
1: We, we were talking. Hello? About... You just cut the line. What happened? Are you guys there? Again? Are you guys there? Yeah, are yeah. You, yeah. But, you know, she won't get any sleep. We better go down and get her. J- Jackie? What? We're going to come down and get you. OK? OK. All right. Uh, Uh, We're we're coming right now. Okay, hurry, hurry, please, hurry, please. I don't know how long I can stay here. We're leaving right now. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: It was September the 4th when Barry Conrad received a frantic call from Jackie, telling him that things had really escalated within the home. Objects were flying around and Jackie was even held down and experienced a smothering sensation. With Barry at the time of the call were his fellow investigators Gary and Jeff Wheatcraft. They all listened to Jackie's pleas for help. At one o'clock the following morning, the team had assembled and made their way to the San Pedro home. On arrival, they found Jackie on the outside porch area with her two children and neighbour Susan. It seems the fear and activity had been so terrible that they were forced to wait outside for the team. Gary and Wheatcraft entered the home and started their sweep with the equipment they had brought whilst Conrad stayed outside with Jackie to reassure her and ask her questions. This story is played with one major problem and that is no matter how expensive and grand your ghost hunting equipment is, it is vital that it is switched on and doing the job it was designed to do. Throughout this case, there are so many missed opportunities because either the camera was not switched on, or, as in the case with the first investigation, the cameras were not even taken out of the car. Whilst Conrad was talking to Jackie, he noticed that a strange, tailed source of light would suddenly materialise in front of them and then fly through a nearby doorway. This event happened so suddenly that Conrad did not even have enough time to switch on the video camera. Surely a prerequisite if you are interviewing someone regarding their paranormal experiences. Gary and Wheatcraft's investigations of the home had led them back to the little washing room just off the kitchen where the attic entrance was located. Wheatcraft had decided to go back up inside the attic, as it had been the source of several paranormal incidents during their last investigation. Throughout these events, a couple of the witnesses were said to have heard a loud snapping noise, not unlike someone clicking their fingers right in front of your face. Barry once again began to film, as everyone had made their way into the kitchen and surrounding areas. On Conrad's video you could clearly see the dark black void that is the open attic hatch and that is then interrupted by the intense flash from Wheatcraft's camera as he is up there taking photographs. The flashing stops and after a few heartbeats the fearful cries of Wheatcraft can be heard. As Jackie stated in an interview everyone was in their own little groups talking amongst themselves until they heard the loud cries coming from within the attic. What's wrong? What happened? Came the confused cries from Jeff as he tried to scramble his way on all fours to the attic entrance. His face was pale, confused, and in somewhat of a daze.
1: The moment uh, Gary turned to go towards the trap door, I took one step. After that one step I don't remember what happened, except I do remember then all of a sudden that my neck was tightened, tightened, and brought against the attic rafter.
0: Stated Jeff in an interview that was taken minutes after the incident. When Jeff had finally managed to ease himself out of the attic hatch, it was immediately obvious that something had harmed him physically. Around his neck was a cord, which had been savagely twisted into a knot. This ligature had caused some friction burns, similar to rope burns on his neck. The confused Jeff said to the team on the ground that were trying to help him out of the attic and onto his feet. Come right now, Jeff, what happened? Put something around my neck. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. Gary was in the attic with Jeff, and as soon as he heard the moans coming from the area that Jeff was in, he took several photographs to aid in the illumination of the area. What he saw startled him and sent him racing to the aid of his friend. Jeff had something wrapped around his neck that was later to be revealed as a piece of clothesline, and his whole body had been lifted up so that this clothesline could be hung from a nail that was hammered into the rafter. In effect, Jeff was being slowly hanged by an unseen force. Gary raced to help him by trying to loosen the cord around his throat, but couldn't manage it. Eventually, he managed to free his friend by bending up the nail that the ligature was hung from. Jeff has always maintained that if Gary was not present in the attic, then the aggressive evil force would have killed him. This would be the last time, quite understandably, that Jeff would ever enter the San Pedro home.
1: What happened? It's like, it's, it's something grabbed that out of my hand. I'm not kidding, we grabbed the whole thing out of my hand. Just now, just, just now. now. Yeah. Just now, it grabbed the whole thing out of my hand. There's Yeah. Okay. Hear it? Hear it? walking back okay, and forth over there. He walking, definitely. everyone, yes, yeah. right. quiet.
0: We have complete video coverage of this event from the kitchen, as well as Gary's photographs of Jeff in the attic. Another good aspect that was captured was the conversations and interviews that were filmed straight after the event. We can actually hear the story being told by Gary and Wheatcraft, as well as the perspectives from the other individuals involved in the case. As the event progressed, and it seemed that things had gone past the peak of activity, Jackie's children were still outside. The youngest, Samantha, was all cosy in her carrier and was wide awake. During the course of the events, Jackie had checked on her several times, and in fact she had addressed the entities that occupied the home and stated
1: quite categorically that... And I had even asked... er you know, sit th- told it and demanded that it stay away from my children, and no uncertain terms. In fact, that night, that same night in the bedroom, I said, just stay away from my kids.
0: Sue was the first to notice that there was something wrong with Samantha. Nothing had disrupted her or even changed her temperament. It was something about her forehead.
1: Sue was the first one to notice it. I had passed Samantha seconds before and nothing was on. She was fine. Then Sue passed and she noticed that there was... A red mark on the baby's forehead and she asked about it and that's when I I noticed it and it wasn't on seconds ago and it was it freaked me out because it came so close to my kids.
0: The red mark was recorded by the cameras but unfortunately it was rubbed off by Jackie before anyone could get any samples from it. Kern County California The activity at the San Pedro home continued for several months and Jackie tried to live with it but the overpowering smells and disembodied voices began to be too much It was autumn time and Jackie had had enough of living in that hellhole the activity had finally got to her so she decided to leave and patch things up with her ex-husband. She and her two children moved to a trailer park, Weldon in Kern County, California. Jackie had started to feel better and stated,
1: After moving up into Weldon and settling into the trailer, I was still afraid of the nights, even though I knew in my own mind, nothing was at the trailer. Because uh, as far as I was concerned, what it had, I had experienced in that house on in San Pedro, I had left in that house in San Pedro when I moved out.
0: But unfortunately, things started to go awry, and the relationship started to fall apart once again. Al had left the family home, and Jackie was once again on her own, struggling to bring up her two children while studying. It was during this vulnerable stage in her life, with isolation from people due to her living in a remote part of California, that the phenomena had once again started. One of the most chilling incidents was when, on April the 2nd, Janice and Jim Silcott, Jackie's neighbours, were helping Jackie to move a large screen television into a storage shed. All three of them had witnessed the ghostly image of an old man's face begin to materialise within the glass screen, and Jackie had further recounted that this face was the same visage as the old man that had appeared sitting on the bunk bed in the San Pedro home. The two neighbours stated that the old man had ugly, evil-looking eyes. For the rest of that night, Jackie could hear a pounding sound emanating from that storage shed. Jackie decided to get back in contact with the investigation team as it looked like the phenomena ...had decided to follow her. April the 13th, 1990. Jeff and Barry decided that they were going to take the trek north and visit Jackie. Hopefully this time they would be able to capture the phenomena at work. Initially, Jeff was worried about going due to his experiences in the San Pedro home, but he was convinced by Barry. The pair arrived at Jackie's home on the 13th of April and had once again brought their assortment of ghost-detecting equipment and video cameras. It was stated that Jeff and Barry had witnessed strange dark shadows moving within the storage shed, but once again... Conrad's temperamental camera was not able to record these events. Due to the unreliability of the equipment, a séance was attempted. Some sources say that the séance was a pre-planned event, whereas others say it was a spontaneous event. Anyway, Jackie, Conrad and Wheatcraft were joined by one of Jackie's neighbours, and the séance began. The group were using a Ouija board to hopefully make a connection to the spirit, and slowly the entity began to move the planchette and answer their questions. From the scrawled transcript, it is possible to make out the following. Question. How long have you been trapped in the spirit world answer 60 years question did you die in the San Pedro house no No. question where did you die San Pedro Bay question did you drown? No. I was held under water. Question Did you live in the San Pedro house? My murderer lived there. Barry asked the entity how many ghosts were present with them in the home and was given a spine chilling answer Phantoms fill the skies. Around you. ...around you. During this exchange, it is said that all the windows were closed... ...and yet, all the candles inexplicably blew themselves out... ...one by one. The table that the Ouija board was placed on was vibrating... ...constantly throughout the exchange... ...as too did their chairs... The group battled through and asked the entity why it targeted Jackie. It simply stated the word, Energy. What kind of energy? The group shouted out. And the board very plainly spelled out, Dead. The spirit also divulged some further details regarding his life before he transitioned to the other realm of existence. It appears that the board told the small group, that he was murdered in San Pedro Bay in 1930, when he was 18 years old, and that someone had held him underwater until he drowned. Conrad wanted to know the answer to another burning question, and that was why did the entity attack Wecraft in the attic at San Pedro? Because he has the likeness of my killer, came the response from the board. The atmosphere in the room had become heavy, and the vibrating of the table and chairs had increased in its severity. Conrad asked another question. Whom in the room do you hate? Jeff. Came the response. Things seemed to slowly wind down, and the tension in the room seemed to lift. The spirit even signed off by saying, I must go now. The sun
1: cometh. The sun cometh.
0: Without warning, the chair and Jeff himself were lifted up into the air. The chair fell away from him as his arc of ascent increased. Jeff finally slammed against the upper part of the wall where it joins the ceiling. Jeff's body was limp and lifeless and the rest of the participants feared the worst. After a few moments, Jeff regained consciousness. Jeff stated that he felt as if his entire diaphragm was being compressed right before the sensation of vertical lifting, and then the feeling of his head and back hitting the wall and ceiling. Conrad was disappointed that the video camera did not capture what had happened, ...as they had all malfunctioned at the same time. Herman Hendrickson and John Damon. The events of the 13th of April left a deep psychological scar in Wheatcraft and the rest of the team. This was the second time he had been attacked and the entity had given his reasons. Both Conrad and Jackie decided to start digging through old newspapers and records in search of this 18-year-old who had been murdered at the San Pedro docks. What they came up with was a young seaman named Herman Hendrickson. Herman's body was found in 1930, floating in the harbour on March the 25th. Conrad discovered on reviewing the archives of the San Pedro newspapers of 1930 that the boy had a jagged wound on the top of his head that authorities determined was not the cause of death but in fact sustained when he fell off the dock. All these snippets of information seem to corroborate with the tale the Ouija board told although Hendrickson was ten years older than was written on the transcript. All this information seemed to echo back to the strange dream that Jackie had in the early days of San Pedro. Was she given an early indication of what was to come? Conrad had, months later, decided to analyse the piece of cord that was wound around Jeff's neck. He had already found that the knot looked like a fishing knot, in the early style by sailors. Not being an expert in these matters, Conrad sought the opinion of a specialist and showed the cord to a fisherman named Luke from San Pedro, who confirmed to him that the knot was indeed traditionally used by sailors who sailed aboard merchant ships. When they retraced the history of Jackie's former home, Investigators discovered that many sailors had resided there because San Diego used to be a port city. With the first spirit identified, it was time to focus their attention on the second spirit, that of the old evil looking man. Finding records of this would be difficult as they had no names or anything to go on. Jackie and the team would talk to older residents of the area who had been there for a long time. It was learned that the bungalow was constructed by a gentleman by the name of John Damon, and by assumption, they believed that this is the apparition that showed itself to Jackie that night. Jackie believed that John Damon did visit her one last time whilst she visited the old San Pedro home. She said that she observed a ball of bright light that was visible in broad daylight, and she followed it until she came to an old cemetery. The ball of light seemed to hover over one particular grave before fading away into nothingness. The name on that grave was John Damon. After the haunting, Hernandez stayed in the Weldon trailer until the summer of 1990, when she moved back to San Pedro, this time living in a small apartment. It would take only a few days before things started to move of their own accord, and the strange disembodied voices could be heard once more. Jackie was even able to photograph some of the strange light phenomenon that she had experienced. Jeff Wheatcraft and Barry Comrad were soon to realize that the entity was able to manifest itself in their own home. In July 1990, the two of them started noticing that whenever they returned home, that things would be in disarray. Stove burners would be switched on and left running. Objects would be placed on top of the cooker burners when they were not on, and two pairs of scissors hidden under their pillows. The pair would often hear strange footsteps, luminous apparitions and no end of camera problems every time they tried to capture the phenomena. On the evening of December the 4th 1990, Jeff, Gary and Barry had returned from filming an event at about 1.30am when Gary noticed the empty Coke can in the hall. This can was not there when they left that evening and once again the cooker burner had been switched on. During the night, Jeff had tried an experiment whereby he left an envelope and a pen so that hopefully the spirit would leave a message. Instead, the cooker burner was mysteriously turned on again and the envelope was burning within its flame. A bright humanoid figure suddenly appeared and dived towards Jeff and Gary who were standing near the corridor, near the living room. Then the light turned to the right and disappeared into the wall. By January in 1991, the experiences with the paranormal became rarer. Jackie would have minor incidents until 1993, then it would stop completely. Luckily, Jackie's child Samantha was incredibly young when the incidents occurred and has no memory of these haunted years. Jamie, however, had claimed that he had been thrown against the wall and has some trouble sleeping alone. Barry Conrad would eventually go on to write the book An Unknown Encounter a true account of the San Pedro haunting. He also produced and directed a documentary video of the haunting, which is where most of the audio samples come from in this episode. Jackie Hernandez spends her now spirit-free life as a grandmother in San Pedro, California. As for the haunted house in San Pedro, according to the owner, no tenant stayed there more than six months. As I stated at the beginning, the events that I have recounted to you are a bit of a shambles. Many reports omit certain details, and clearly some details are added in way after the events. It is truly difficult to ascertain whether this really happened the way it has been presented, as there are many different subtle and huge variances in this tale. If we are to assume that everything that occurred has been honestly recounted, then what does the suspiciously absent Dr. Taff make of all the experiences? Dr. Taff believes that due to the emotional problems that Jackie Hernandez was going through, that she had become a poltergeist agent. The attacks against Jeff Wheatcraft could possibly be the result of Hernandez's attraction towards another member of the investigation team, Barry Conrad. Wheatcraft was always present with Conrad, which Hernandez could have felt... ...was impeding her efforts to get closer to him. Taff theorises that this provoked Hernandez... ...into unknowingly releasing RSPK energy... ...recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis... ...in an attempt to get rid of wheatcraft. Taff's theory could be very plausible... ...or it simply could all be a hoax... ...that was even suspected by Dr Taff... ...hence his absence in the rest of the investigation... Where is the report of the liquid samples that were gathered? Who did the analysing to ascertain it was human blood plasma? This case seems to create more questions than answers. That is why I like to look at it as a paranormal tale. We will never find the answers, so let's just appreciate the unfolding narrative and devise our own solutions. If you are listening to this message, then the subliminal frequency has successfully calibrated to your mind. Do not be alarmed. I am here to advise you to explore the Occultaria of Albion. The Occultaria of Albion is both a written series as well as a podcast. It explores various locations where paranormal and supernatural events have occurred. It is a broadcast on a forgotten frequency, hauntings, Time slips, cryptids, cults, and more are investigated and examined. Enter a world designed by torch and moonlight. Go to occulteriaofalbiion.com or search Occularia of Albion wherever you find your favorite podcasts.
1: End Transmission.